open up to Acts chapter 10. Terry, I think you did a wonderful job. I want you to know that. My wife did a wonderful, wonderful job. You would never know how nervous she gets knowing she's going to go up and sing and worship and lead people into worship. But uh, you did a wonderful job along with the team. I love our team. That's our team. God gives gifts to the church. Praise God. Acts chapter 10. As I continue through the book of Acts, we'll start in verse... 43, time out, my fault, 33 if we don't mind, if we can do that, I will start off where I ended last week, start 33, I will give the technical team a moment, are we there, hey there we are, okay, that's 34, can we go back one? 33 is important, yes. We're getting there. That's my fault, not their fault. I just told them at the last moment. I do that to keep them on their toes. Almost? Not yet? All right, I'm going to read. Okay, there we go, 33. All right. So I went, so I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism of, that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked in the rain for some days. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles, please repeat after me, have received the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. I thank you that these Gentiles 2,000 years ago received 
the word of God. I thank you that the day 28 years ago when I heard Christ call me, I received the word of God. I thank you that all my brothers and sisters here that know you personally, Father God, have been saved by faith through grace, Father God, have received the word of God. We thank you that all true born-again believers chosen before the foundations of the world receive the word of God. We thank you for the gospel, which is the word of God. Breathe upon this text. Enlighten us, God, to see this great privilege we have that we have received the word of God and every blessing that comes with the word of God, the gospel, Father God. Let us never, ever put anything in front of the gospel, Father. It is about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins, Father God. In Jesus' name, amen. Hearing with faith... Uh, There's a text in Galatians chapter 3, Paul says to the Galatians, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He asks a question, a rhetorical question. Tell me this, have you received the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing in faith? And we know the rhetorical answer, they received salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit by what? They heard the message and they believed, they received everything by faith. We have a working picture of that in this text tonight. We have the Holy Spirit fallen on these Gentile converts who, I spoke about it all chapter 10 for the last four weeks, had received the vision to send for Peter. Peter received the vision to go. He goes. They're all there. Expectation, the Holy Spirit falls all by hearing the word. And I give a disclaimer first. Too many people put the ministry of the Holy Spirit in front of the ministry of the preaching of the Word. And that's something we're not supposed to do. The text does not teach us this. The text is not about the filling of the Holy Spirit. The text is about the receiving of the Gospel. Attested to by the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's about the Word of God. It's about the work of Christ. Hearing with faith. Is what has taken place here. As I mentioned before, chapters 10 to 11, 18, read as one long play with five acts. We are in Act 4 tonight. I spoke on the first three acts, and we have this climactic resolution taking place today over this conflict between the Jews and the Gentiles. Cornelius represents the Gentiles who are outside the hope of Israel, Peter represents the Jews. And he preaches the hope of Israel, Jesus Christ. And we've got this great conflict. How would the Gentiles who are outside any hope receive any hope now? Peter did not want to go to the Gentiles. Peter did not think that the Gentiles were incorporated into the family of God. He still thought that you had to become a Jew to become a Christian. But God had to show him in a dream, in a vision, that whatever God calls clean is not common. Peter got a vision that all people are right with God now. It had to be played out in his life, though. He knew it. Just like many times we know something theologically, but we have to live it out practically before we can own such a truth. Peter had to have been shown this by God himself. And now we're going to see something grand and something dramatic happen that... They they were amazed, the Jews were amazed that the Holy Spirit fell. They weren't expecting that. God doesn't do that. God does it to us. But Peter had to find out that God shows no partiality. 
It's being played out for us. A new day has dawned. And God is not the God of the Jew only, but he's the God of the Gentile just as much as the Jew. Now the Jew had to find out that the God, that God is not just the Jew of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of the Gentile. He shows no partiality to no nation above another. The gospel message of Jesus breaks down all dividing walls between all people, groups, all nations, all tongues, and all tribes. He is the common denominator all sinful human beings need is Jesus Christ. Most of, you, most of us here today are familiar with a happy ending, a surprise ending, some kind of uh, a surprise party, retirement party, some family reunion, some heartwarming story. Well, that's what we have tonight, this heartwarming story. Cornelius really doesn't know, am I accepted by God? Peter doesn't really know, are the Gentiles accepted by God? Both these men are going to have a showdown. All the tension that week that started in verse 1 about Cornelius' vision, then Peter's vision with just the means to an end of coming to a head-on collision right now. God did something supernatural in Cornelius' life by giving him a vision. He did something supernatural. Simultaneously, he did something supernatural to Peter and gave him a vision so that these two men would have a showdown one day. And this is the showdown. God is behind the scene in his drama, unfolding it every step by step inch by inch, every minute detail has been governed by the sovereign providence of God. Everything we read is God-ordained. God is orchestrating all the circumstances that have taken place in this whole chapter, of course, the whole Bible, just to come to this place that Cornelius, his family, and his friends who are devout to the Jewish law of Moses are going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ from the Jewish apostle, all ordained by God. Now, for just a, a, a novel reading of scripture, you would miss that and you would just read a nice story, not realizing that God is circumventing people's lives to get the truth out there. The last thing Peter ever thought he was going to do was end up in Cornelius' house in Caesarea preaching the gospel by invitation. An invitation to come. Cornelius never thought as a God-fearer who went to synagogue, a God-fearer who believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He believed in the law of Moses. He was a devout man. He was a God-fearer. But a God-fearer, even though devout he was, had to stay in the back of the synagogue behind a curtain. Reserved for the Gentiles. Cornelius never knew what was going to transpire. Had no idea that this Jewish apostle was going to set foot in his house. Well, the moment has come. But it doesn't start in verse 34, it starts in verse 33. Let's listen to our text. 33 35. So I sent for you at once, Cornelius says to Peter. You have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear. My whole family is here. All my extended family, all my close friends, all my servants were all here just to hear what you have commanded by the Lord. We are here. 
to hear the word. You have a word from God and we're all here eager, anticipating and expecting we're going to hear the word of God for our lives. Do you show up to church expecting to hear the word of God? I know people that expect to experience God. Experience God. I want to experience God. And they go to church to experience God. And what happens, they'll experience maybe God one day and maybe something else the other day. But what happens, you get turned on to experience, that's all you want. This is about the word of God. And they show up because they want to hear what Peter has to say. So Peter opens up his mouth under their invitation. He says, truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You would think Peter would go right into the gospel message. But he didn't. Before he gets into the gospel of Jesus Christ, which he's going to do, a summary Historical objective facts about Christ. He gives a disclaimer. This is interesting. Peter finds that he has to explain himself to the Gentile audience. I don't want you to miss this. What he's doing is giving the right hand of fellowship. He's saying, I came here, you know I'm a Jew. You know that we are called not to eat with any nation or fellowship with any other nation. But I'm here under invitation. I received a vision. I'm here. You're all gathered. You're all eager to hear what I have to say. Now I fully understand, he's saying, that God accepts all nations. You see what Peter's doing? He's stepping down from his pious Jewish attitude. He is humbling himself. And he's looking at a people that don't look like him. They don't dress like him. They don't speak like him. They don't act like him. They don't eat like him. This is the first time he's ever preached to a Gentile audience. And he gives a disclaimer of his own heart. Basically is what he's saying. I've had it wrong. I thought God was only for the Jew. I didn't realize he had a heart for you too. And he shows no partiality. He opens up with confession. I could save this for application, but I'll speak about it now. How important it is for anybody to preach the gospel first has to come to a recognition that God loves them. You cannot bring the saving, loving message of Christ to any people group unless you love the people. You have to love the people. Peter had to learn that God loved them. And instantaneously, when he went to Cornelius' house, before he even preached, when he saw the hunger in their hearts, when he saw the family, he saw the extended family, he saw the friends and the servants all there, eager to hear what Peter had to say, Peter had an aha moment, and he realized that God truly loves others and not just me. This is huge. It's huge. Ministers have to 
love the people. Ministers have to learn to grow, to love that which God loves. We cannot just open up our mouth and expect people to be converted. This is a lesson for all ministers. It's a lesson for all of us. It's not just for our families. It's not just for our friends. It's for all people, all times, all places, everywhere. He points to an inner attitude of his heart. How revealing this is. Verse 36a says this. Peter goes on now after his disclaimer. As for the word that he sent to Israel, Peter makes a distinction immediately between Israel and all other nations. The word that he sent to Israel, Jesus said this to the woman at the well. He said, woman, salvation truly comes from the Jews. But as Jesus also spoke to the woman at the well, God is looking for those who will worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. This is the truth. Salvation does come from the Jews. The Messiah does come from the line of Abraham. It was a promise to the world through Abraham. That's a true statement. For the word didn't come anywhere else but to Israel first. And then to the world. The means to this worshiping end of worshiping and spiriting and truth is God's sovereignty over the hearts of all men. God draws men and women from different nations together, people and tongues to the Israel's Messiah. God has put all these people in one room. God has planted these people in one room. God has prepared their hearts with a hunger to hear what the apostle has to say. God does that. This is not a coincidence. Oh, Cornelius, how did all these people get here? Oh, Cornelius, they all want to hear what I have to say. How, how, did this, how did this just happen? No. Jesus says it. No man comes to me unless the Father in heaven draws him. And we got a whole family, friends, and servants God has drawn together at a time like this for Peter to preach the gospel to them. And what's the end result? Peter says, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Though we only have about eight verses of Peter's sermon, you can rest assured. I I read this out loud. It took me about 45 seconds at home. You can rest assured that this 45 seconds, these eight, nine verses of Peter's sermon really was a lot more lengthy. But Luke, the historian, is just taking sound bites out and putting it into the book. You can rest assured that Peter spoke more clearly and articulated more precisely that which Christ had done. But the bottom line is here is that he is saying some, some, some basic, elementary, objectable facts about what Christ has done in his person and on the cross. He's given them the gospel in seed form. But it basically is peace through Jesus Christ. This is peace is synonymous with salvation and justification with God. Now Peter gives the summary of the word sent to Israel. It says this. Somewhere. For you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, verse 37. 
beginning from Galilee, after the baptism of John, proclaimed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are his witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on the tree. See, that part of the story they were familiar with. Cornelius was a centurion. Cornelius knew what was taking place in Judea, in Jerusalem, in Samaria. He knew what was taking place with around the Mediterranean world. But there's something he did not know. And this is what he did not know until Peter came and told him. But God raised him on the third day. You see, Cornelius didn't know that he was raised on the third day. He needed a witness to tell him. Peter was the witness who ate and drank with the risen Christ. Cornelius knew all the other earthly stories about Jesus. That he even died, that they hung him on a tree. But Cornelius never heard about the third day. This is the first time he's hearing about the resurrection. But God raised him from the dead. As he says in verse 40, but God raised him on the third day. He never heard that part of the story. He heard everything else. And then he revealed himself, not to all the people, Cornelius. He didn't just show himself to everybody, but those he chosen personally to be his witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And not just that, Cornelius, but he commanded us to preach to, to people and to testify that he's the one by God appointed to judge the living and the dead. And to him all the prophets bear witness, Cornelius, that everyone who believes in him, Cornelius, your family, receives the forgiveness of sins. Cornelius didn't know about that part of the story. He knew about all the earthly happenings of Christ. He didn't know the true message of it. The resurrection brings us the forgiveness of sins. And with this faithful preaching of Peter, and Cornelius' devout heart towards God, The Holy Spirit falls down. The Holy Spirit just fills. Fills every believer in it. Unfortunately, over the years, this text has been apprehended and misused by countless thousands upon ten thousands of preachers to stir up the masses with some Holy Ghost feeling. And all of a sudden, it's about the Holy Ghost. It's not about the Holy Spirit. It's about Christ's work of redemption at the cross that brings the forgiveness of sins. That's what warmed their heart. That's what captivated them. That's why they were all there to hear the message that the Lord had commanded you, Peter. We're all here. Look, my whole household is here. We're eager and anticipating. We know you have something from the Lord. We heard some earthly stories about Jesus, but tell us the whole story. And Peter gives it to him. You know why the Holy Spirit fell? Because they heard the gospel with faith. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith, Galatians? Cornelius, remember, did you receive the Holy Spirit by trying harder? 
Cornelius, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you went to the synagogue and they told you about Moses? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you gave alms? Cornelius, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you had a vision? No, Cornelius, you received the Holy Spirit when your heart was overwhelmed by the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message of the New Testament. Let nobody ever apprehend it and put it to the side. That is the message. It's the rugged cross. Nothing has changed. Why do we change it? Why do we try to entertain people? Why do we treat the crowd? You've got to keep the crowd going. It's got to be fresh. It's got to be new. Not for the apostles. Not for all true preachers. Not for those who are faithful to the gospel message. If Jesus doesn't change the direction of your life. If Jesus Christ dying on the cross doesn't change the direction of your life. There is nothing else. And if you ever get tired of hearing that, something's wrong. And while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard what? Who heard the word. It's about the word. It's about being faithful to the gospel. Peter was faithful to the gospel. He didn't come with an entourage. He didn't come with an orchestra. He didn't come with a light show. He didn't come with smoke and mirrors. He showed up at the door with God's command to preach about a resurrected and crucified Savior who died for the forgiveness of their sins. He had nothing. And while he was just speaking, God sovereignly saved them. He didn't put a show on. He just preached faithfully. As Peter explained the resurrection and the forgiveness of sins, simultaneously their hearts were being overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. I can remember the day I stood there And the preacher was preaching, and I felt like I was the only person in the room. And as soon as they said the forgiveness of sins, I felt God saying, come, Brian, and receive the forgiveness of sins. That's all it was about. Faith, saving faith, attached itself to the faithful preaching of the word of God and spontaneous combustion just went boom. Lives were changed at an instant. Cornelius would never be the centurion again. Cornelius was now a co-heir with Christ. Instantaneously. This is a man, the Sabbath before, was in the back of the synagogue, behind a veil, couldn't get close, speaking in the Hebrew dialogue, didn't even understand what was being said. All the synagogues, all the services were done in Hebrew. Hebrew dialect. And all of a sudden, he's right to the throne of grace. All of a sudden, he's in the Holy of Holies just by hearing the message of Christ. Overwhelmed with the presence of God and his heart overwhelmed his whole family. They're sealed forever with the Holy Spirit. 
He has the deep cry of Abba, Father. They're praising God in other tongues, in other languages. They're praising God. Yeshua, Yeshua. He's risen from the dead. He's risen from the dead. They're speaking in Hebrew. There are six brothers of the circumcision are hearing Gentiles praise God in the Hebrew dialect. It's miraculous. It's overwhelming. As a matter of fact, it says they were amazed. It means dumbfounded. It means speechless. They're looking at each other. In the middle of his sermon, the Holy Spirit fills their hearts. And they're hearing them proclaim the praises of God. These people that don't look like them, don't smell like them, don't dress like them, don't speak like them, don't eat like them, they have nothing in common whatsoever except that God loves them both. I was preaching in Arizona this year and uh, the worship team comes up to do the worship before I preach and the guy gets up and starts rapping. I'm like, how long is this going to go on? And he's rapping and I'm listening to him rap. He's bopping and he's rapping. And I realize this guy's theology is right on. Spot on. It was all about the cross and his broken heart. He wrote all the music himself. And I see the church he comes from. I know the minister of this church, and there's a crowd of probably about 12 people that don't look like me. They don't dress like me. They don't sound like me. They don't talk like me. They don't smell like me. But God loved them just as much as he loved me. I had to repent on the spot. When I turned around, I saw them worshiping God. They were praising God. And I'm like, how in the world could I ever have that thought? Peter looked at them, and he was being rebuked by their praises. As they were praising God, they were rebuking him. How dare I ever take someone else's inventory? How dare I call someone common that God loves? It was a challenging time for me, very humbling. And I got to speak to them afterwards. And it was a young church. I knew the pastor. And there was a group of 10 people that did street ministry in lower Arizona. It's an area you don't go to. It's where the drugs and the prostitution that you always hear about, that's where it goes on. They're the only ones that go into this neighborhood at night and preach. Only ones. No, no other church will go there. They go with food. They go with clothing. They go with gospel tracts. They bring their little walkie-talkie thing, and they set up. They sing their rap songs, and they preach to the people. And here I am, the limousine pastor. Like, you know, I, you know, I, I'm judging them. 
that's what Peter was doing. Peter was amazed when they saw their hearts for God. He wasn't just amazed that the Holy Spirit fell. He was amazed that God accepted them. And God filled their hearts with praise and adoration for himself. Can I tell you that God can do more to our prejudiced hearts in one worship service than all the therapy and medication of a lifetime. When you get people together and we're worshiping God and you look at what God is doing in the hearts of other people, that should melt us. That's what was taking place here. They're overwhelmed. It was a witness. It was a silent rebuke to Peter and the other brothers with him from the circumcision party that God fully accepts the Gentiles. Four times in the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit fell. or Men were filled with the Holy Spirit where they spoke in tongues and other languages. And praise God. The first time I was in Jerusalem... It was for the sole purpose of the receiving of the Holy Spirit to the Jew. The next time it was the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. It was a sign to the Jewish apostles that God and the gospel goes to the Samaritans. Half-breeds. Now it's the third time and it's going to the Gentiles. This is the first time a preacher from the Jewish, uh, from Jerusalem went to the Gentiles and preached the gospel. It's the first time. Cornelius, as far as we know, is the first Gentile believer in the New Testament. First one in the book of Acts. So it's a sign to the apostles that the church is going, just like Christ said. Go to all the ends of the earth, starting in Jerusalem, Samaria, and Judea, to the ends of the world, commanding men to obey the gospel. It's happening. It's a testimony to Peter and the other Jews that God accepts the Gentiles. The walls of prejudice are finally broken down. It was a witness to Peter and the Jewish church. Let me give some doctrinal considerations here. One I already spoke about. Acts does not inform us doctrinally. The epistles do. Acts shares with us how salvation went from Jerusalem to the outer parts of the world. That's what the book of Acts is. Being filled with the Spirit here shows the apostles that the Holy Spirit's work is bringing in the lost sheep that don't belong to the fold of Israel. They're finally coming in. They're hearing the word. They're responding to the word of God. They're responding to the gospel of their forgiveness. They're responding to the resurrection. They're responding to the preacher preaching that Christ was ordained to judge the living and the dead. They're responding to this. They're responding. They're receiving the Holy Spirit. They're being brought into the fellowship. They're being brought into the church. They're bride of Christ now. Dividing walls are being brought down now. The Holy Spirit's ministry is up and operating on the hearts of men. The Holy Spirit fell. I ask a question. Or the receiving of the word. What's more important? 
much should do could be brought about by the Holy Spirit's ministry. Almost uh, invoking the ministry of the Holy Spirit to come and fill us. Invoking the person of the Holy Spirit to come and consume us. Invoking the person of the Holy Spirit to overwhelm us. Invoking the presence of the Spirit for an experience. To continue to do this and to continue to do this and continue. Is that what we're supposed to do? If it is, then we should do it. But if it's not, we've got to be careful. Or do we preach the word the way the apostles preached? Do we articulate the word of Christ and the cross? Do we put nothing above the cross? Do we put nothing above Jesus' suffering? Do we put nothing above Jesus' death? Do we put nothing above his glorious resurrection? Do we do nothing above his glorious work as intercessor and high priest at the right hand of God? Do we do put anything before his second coming? What is going to change us dramatically? What's going to change us from the inside out? Is it some invoking of the Holy Spirit? Or is it the crushing of our human pride by the finished work of Christ? We have to ask them. They receive the word. And the Holy Spirit did what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do. He comes to glorify me. He says the Holy Spirit's like a wind. You don't know where he's coming. You don't know where he's going. So is everybody born of the Spirit. But he gives this little illustration. He says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. See, the Holy Spirit's ministry is the strongest and the purest when Christ is elevated in preaching. When Christ's deity, his humanity, his finished work at the cross, his glorious resurrection, his high high priestly intercession for us at the right hand of God, his second coming, when that is elevated, when that is the emphasis of New Testament preaching, when that is the emphasis of the Christian's heart, when we everything we do, we do because a Savior died and was crushed for us and rose again on our behalf. When we do everything, then the ministry of the Holy Spirit comes behind the preaching of the Word of God and changes us. Would I love to see the Holy Spirit show up? Of course. Would I love to see the Holy Spirit fill the hearts of God's people? Of course. Do we need more of the Holy Spirit? Of course. Do we need churches needed? Of course. Do we need it individually? Of course. Do I pray for it every day for myself? Of course. Do I pray for this church every day to be filled with the Spirit? Of course. But after that, I can't do anything but preach the word of God. That's all I can do is preach the word of God. I have no other means to this end but to preach the word of God. Cornelius, in another application, is like a man who needed adjustment to his faith. His heart one might say his attitude of heart was almost like it was saving faith. He, he wanted everything the God of the Old Testament promised. He gave his arms to it. He gave his love to it. He gave his devotion to it. He knew there was a new fresh word. He knew he, Peter had to come and tell him something. He knew bits and pieces of the story of Jesus Christ. He did not deny the bits and pieces of the stories of Jesus Christ. But what he did not hear was that Jesus was raised from the dead for the forgiveness of sins. 
playing golf a couple weeks ago with a guy. I didn't want to play with him because I just wanted to go. And But God hooks us up and we're playing golf and we're talking. Nice gentleman. I've met him before. We're having a good time. He asked what I do. I said, I'm a minister. He tells him what he's doing. He goes, a couple of holes there, he goes, yeah, you know, I listen to Joel Osteen all the time. So I'm like, all right, God. You know, I don't want to come firing out that, you know, I'm really not a big fan of this guy. But I said, God, what does this guy need? So I was asking for guidance. About two or three holes later, he brings something up and I said, you know, Chris, I got to be honest with you. I'm not a fan of Joel Olstein. And he said, why? I said, well, you know, he's more, he's not faithful to the truth of Christ and the need to repent and be forgiven of your sins. I said he's more of a motivational speaker, and his sermons will never insult anybody. I said, you know, he can preach to a Muslim, he can preach to a Jew, he can preach to an atheist, and anybody would say amen. I said, that's not the gospel. He goes, he goes my mother told me the same thing. <laughs> See, his mother was a believer, an Episcopalian woman, but faithful to the gospel. And he said, you know, she's been telling me that. He said, tell me more. And for the next nine holes, I talked to him about Jesus Christ and the resurrection and the forgiveness. Praise the Lord. He was so wide open. By the end, he was saying, the Holy Spirit, he shared with me his whole heart. I say that for this reason. God was already preparing him. He got bits and pieces of information from his mother, from Joel Osteen, bits and pieces, but he needed an adjustment like Cornelius. He needed to hear the whole gospel message. Cornelius needed to hear the whole gospel message. Faithfulness to the gospel message for the forgiveness of sins. This gentleman needed to hear that. And I shared that with him. I gave him an illustration. I said, sometimes we just need to go to your... uh, Some people don't need to be convinced that Jesus Christ is God. There are many Catholics don't need to be convinced that Jesus, they believe that Jesus Christ is God. There's a lot of people believe that Jesus Christ was, died and rose again for our sins. They need an adjustment. They need clarity. They need explanation. They need to hear the truth from someone who cares for their soul. Peter had to learn to care for Cornelius' soul before he even preached. When we start being used by that, there are many Corneliuses out there. Peter's confession. I think it's healthy for all ministers to reveal certain things about themselves. Over the course of time, you should know who John is, know who I am. We should reveal certain things. I've done. I do that. I think me and John do that well. We're not scared to reveal the weaknesses and the prejudices and other things that God has overcame in our life. Peter had to give a confession. He'd give a disclaimer. Basically what he was saying, there was a time I thought only God accepted the Jew. I never thought in my wildest imagination that God would accept other people. That's what Peter was saying. We're going to close with that. Father, I thank you for your word. It's always about your word, bringing clarity to our understanding, giving clarity to our experience, Father God. We desire more and more of you in our life, Father God. We desire to be filled with the Spirit, Father God. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and making a melody in our heart. But, Father God, we want to be faithful to your word at all times, Father God, because we know 
It's the word of God that's active, like a two-edged sword, dividing our heart and our intentions, Father God, that you can touch us and change us, Father God. And I pray, Father God, like Cornelius, Lord, that we're hungry to hear the word the apostles are preaching. I pray for us as a church, and everybody here as an individual, when they go to the Bible, they want to hear what the apostles are teaching. They want to know the faith that was once and for all handed down to the saints. Help us with this, Father God, in Jesus' name.